Connie, is to understand the Bible, the problem is not with the understanding of the Bible, the problem is with the person trying to interpret the Bible. The Bible itself is incredible revelation, the wisdom of ages. And any person who just puts away their assumption, their prejudice, will understand that it's the greatest book ever written at any level. It's been published more, uh, more, more has happened to try and destroy this book. It's a miracle in itself. And the problem is with the interpreter, not with the message. Like the problem with, the, the, the problem with uh, people today is not that they can't understand what the Bible says, say, don't want to do what it asks. You know, what don't we understand about thou shall not steal? It's not hard, is it? Not hard, is it? Thou shall not steal. But we don't want to obey the Word of God, so that's where confusion comes in. But to understand the Bible, you actually have to do the work of understanding uh, that for a word to mean anything, you've got to understand what the word means in a sentence. And for a sentence to mean anything, you've got to then actually find out what the sentence means in the paragraph. And then you've got to find out then what the paragraph means within the greater sense of the chapter, and then you've got to understand what the chapter means within the book and then the book within the Bible. There you go. That's Bible Hermeneutics 101. Now you understand totally how to understand the Bible. You actually have to do some work. You've got to use this thing here. You know the grey matter? Give it a shake. Just, just make certain there's something in there. Go on. Give it a shake. You hear anything rattle? Anybody hear me rattling? <laughs> we have to think. And if you don't think, it's not going to happen for you. So... What we want to understand is there is a lot of people teach about spiritual warfare, but a lot of the stuff that is out there is not very helpful because it doesn't take into account the broader context of Scripture. And so what we try to do is say to you just very simply is that the book of Ephesians is into two sections. The first section is doctrinal. The second section is devotional. The first section is about who we are in God. And the second section is, well, what does that mean? If we are this, then what does it mean? And so we've tried to look at the importance of our identity, our position, our world, and our spirit. And the thing is, it all folds in on, its, on itself as one sentence. You will not understand the armor of God unless you understand the book. Is that all cool? Okay, next one. Next slide, thanks, Con. And so we looked at Watchman Nee's little uh, summation, which I think is powerful just through those simple little words of sit, Walk and listen. The Christian life begins with sitting. Sitting with Christ. It's about giving up trying to work it out by yourself and about letting God do it for you. It's about ceasing the struggle of religion and of trying to earn yourself a clean conscience and mastery over the inner passions and the slavery to personal selfishness and I have to be happy all the time and I'm not happy that I'm not happy so I'm going to get other people unhappy around me. It's being set free of that and locating yourself in Jesus. Getting your identity as who are you sorted out forever. I am a son of God. That I'm just not an accident between my parents uh, that took place about 45 years ago with dyslexia thrown in. You know, I was almost an accident. My mum and dad met each other at a fancy dress ball and my mother missed her monthlies. And so my grandfather literally got a shotgun and persuaded my father to marry my mother. That's literally what happened. But I was a false alarm. Fortunately, I've got the birth certificate. I can prove it. I can show you the marriage certificate, show you the birth certificate. But then I fell. Uh, then my mother fell pregnant with them on the honeymoon. So that is how. But there's another slice of revelation to that, which is before God even created a single atom, before a proton was formed, an electron, before the Big Bang, before the time there was a, a zero gravity time, God said, I want to make a creature. I'm going to call him Michael, and I've got a plan for his life. And I'm going to let him go through some stuff. We're going to use him. 
to laugh at the devil and to laugh at the enemies and to see incredible things happen. I left home at 14 years of age as a broken kid from a broken family, suicide, drugs, all that sort of stuff. And by the grace of God, I've seen a mini revival break out in the underground church in revival. I've seen things. I've seen the dead raised. I've preached to thousands. I've planted churches. And God has me here. I don't know, but for some good reason. <laughs> but God's used me to do incredible things. So I, I want to be in Jesus. I don't want to be in Mike. Mike in Mike was a bad deal. I can show you the photos. I can show you the guy. But Mike in Jesus has actually come out to be a pretty nice guy. So who are you today? Are you your old self or have you put on the new self made in Jesus? Oh, you should be more excited about that than what you realize. Okay, but we've got to identify ourselves as saved, resting in God. And then out of that, from sitting, we learn to walk. And walking talks about your life. And your life is about walking worthy of that calling. If I am a son of God, then I'll walk in a certain way. If I am a prince then I'll walk a certain way. If I am a conqueror, then I'll walk a certain way. If I am light, then I'll walk in a certain way. Do you get it? You walk in a certain way, not out of obligation, but out of revelation. You have a revelation. All of a sudden, I know that I can win. I'm not a loser. All of a sudden, I know that I'm destined to have purpose and meaning and breakthrough and victory over my life. Not without struggle. We're not into that form of Christianity where it's all magic and you're just going to convey a belt of blessings. But God's destined me for victory. You know, look at my sister Lorraine down there. What a life of victory. You know the story. It's a life of victory. Has she had some struggles? She's had some trouble. Has anybody had struggles here? All the married people said, (laughs) has anybody had struggles? But God's called us to live in victory. So we walk in those rules. So we believe and then we receive. We believe, then we receive. You believe. It's not the other way. We want to receive and then believe. We do, don't we? God, give me the money and I'll believe that you can supply. God, you give me you know, the, the, you know, the partner that's soft towards me in a heart, then I will believe that you can change, change their life. Father, if you bless my... It's meant to be the other way around, isn't it? That we believe it first. You put that money... You know, invest it. I mean, we don't want to talk about money because, you know, pick something else. You know, you believe that you're clean first to live a clean life. You believe that you have no habits that can hold you in order to live a habit-free life. It's not the other way around, guys. So that's one's religion and one's rules and regulations and routine, but the other's life and it's powerful and it works. And then once we've learned how to sit with God, out of a place of rest, out of a place of revelations, then we can walk with God and then you can stand in warfare as a successful soldier. But you can never stand until you can sit and walk. Then you stand and having do everything, you stand and you stand and you stand. Don't lie down. Don't roll over when the enemy comes, knocks on your door. Why don't you just stand? Stand and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Just stand. Sometimes we just have to stand. He says it four times. Stand, 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 stand. He probably means because he means you've got to stand. Got to stand. He's talking to a pastor Probably spoils the story now. But I was uh, talking with a young man, because everyone at my age is a young man, <laughs> yesterday. And he's describing how a number of years ago, probably about 20 years ago, he was totally lost to a lifestyle of drugs. And so he said that he, uh, he lived in a little apartment and he worked right next door. And when he knocked off at work at 5 o'clock, he would go via home 
by, by the bottle shop. And he had an open account that he would spend about three to $500 a week just on alcohol. He would buy a bottle of, um, I don't know, bourbon. Yeah, probably something like bourbon, whiskey, something. Buy one of those. He'd go home and he'd take uh, two cones of marijuana and he'd consume them within half an hour, both of them. And that was just his starter. He would then get on his Harley motorcycle with his jacket and he'd then go out to party after he'd started with that. His drug of choice was magic mushrooms. Now, anybody who's had an experience with magic mushrooms is usually up at Greylands. It's an incredible hallucinogenic sort of a thing, but the most psychotically disturbed people I've ever met in my life, you can usually find that they had one dose of magic mushrooms, and it set them off. Now, one guy was just, I mean, one day, you know, one guy, one guy I know did magic mushrooms. He went to Bali, did some mu- mushrooms up there, and one minute he's a devil, and 30 seconds later he's God. I mean, just weird, absolutely weird. He would do magic mushrooms over and over and over again. And I said, well, you know, how, how are you standing today? The drugs that you've put in the body would kill a horse on any one day. He says, well, I just had this constitution for it. He says, well, how did you get saved? He says, well, one day I did a magic mushroom tr- uh, trip. And in this particular trip, uh, the way he'd do it is that he'd lock himself into this apartment. He actually put on additional security all around it. So he had a, a sense of security that no one could break in. You know, actually he had welded on extra brakes and things so people could, couldn't get into this place. Took these mushrooms and he instantly knows that this is going to be a bad trip. So he's now curled up in the fetal position, drowning in his own vomit and screaming out, nobody can get in. And he goes into this trip state, but he says it wasn't a trip state. I know when I'm tripping. This was an experience. He says, in this experience, I have this uh, vision, we'll call it a vision, of this great white light calling me towards, towards it. And uh, there was this great like, corridor going towards this white light. And by it were all these like old men, sages, monks, wearing these cloaks and had white, long white beards. And they all were ushering me forward and saying, this is the way, this is the way. And he heard this very sweet voice calling to him to come closer and closer. And it felt so warm and so familiar. And so he's experiencing all this, but in his body he still knows, I am dying here. I am choking my vomit. I am, I, I am on the edge of it all. And he's been drawn along this experience and as he's uh, getting closer and closer, he comes and saw like this throne room. And in this throne room, there is this coffin, this beautiful coffin, uh, white and shiny and got gold all over it. And the voice tells him to get into the coffin. And so he goes up to the coffin. He's just about into the coffin. All of a sudden, this voice comes across that he's never heard it before. wasn't a particularly friendly voice, but the voice said, wake up. And uh, so it staggers him a little bit in his vision. But there's still this voice, get in the coffin. Get in the coffin. Back on earth, wherever he is, he's he's choking, he's dying, he's sweating, he's in a very sick place. And he's about to get into the coffin again. And all of a sudden this voice says, wake up. And he doesn't like the sound of his voice. It sounds a bit cross with him, sounds very authoritarian, whatever. And all these other voices saying, this is the way, come into it. And he's about to climb into the coffin again. He sees himself get into the coffin and it feels so peaceful, so relaxing. He lies down in the coffin. He's just about to close his eyes. And the voice says, wake up now. And all of a sudden he comes back to earth, comes out of this slight trip, awake, and begins to recover. And he suddenly has heard the voice of God for the very first time in his life. And today that man has come through, he's gotten rid of all his drugs, and he now serves as an Assembly of God pastor as a result of it. Friends, can I tell you, with all, every piece of love I can possibly muster as a compassionate pastor, wake up. Wake up. We are in a spiritual warfare. And that's 
obvious. Come on, that's obvious, isn't it? If, I mean, if that happened to you tonight in bed, I hope you wake up and say, Dear Jesus, that was a joke, devil. You can leave me alone. That's obvious, isn't it? But most of the stuff that the devil brings our way isn't obvious. It comes cloaked in scary, simple stuff. It comes as the cunning of the serpent into the garden. And so we need to wise up when it comes to warfare. So, and when we get into warfare, what we're meant to do is to stand. So, my friends, be strong. Gary's an early learner. <laughs> so, my friends, be strong in. Be strong. Be strong. It's not be strong in you. Hey, I'm not stronger, but it's be strong in, in the Lord and in His. Oh, it sounds like you said smiley power. Be strong and in His. Oh, hallelujah. That does me good. And it annoys the devil amazing. So who would like to annoy the devil today? Who would like to actually upset him a little bit? Okay, so be strong and in His. Oh, hallelujah! I could preach myself happy. <laughs> I'm being funny. Okay. So, but the point being is, is you're crazy if you want to go off and do spiritual warfare if you've not yet done the basics of growing from a baby to a child to a mature son of God. You've actually got to grow if you want to go to war. We don't send babies to the, war front, to the war front. That's cruel and unkind. Okay, next slide. Thanks, Connie. So know your enemy is one of the first principles of warfare, whether you're a sat son or whether you come from the Bible. And the Bible says that against the methodia of the enemy, we need to take up the panoplia. So the, the devil has strategies. He has methods. But we have armor. And it's the armor of... It's the armor of God, isn't it? It's not our armor. So God has provided us with the tools necessary to win. Hallelujah. He's given it all to us that we might win. Thank you, Jesus. So next slide. Thank you. And so we just wanted to do some basic, again, training, because I think so many Christians mess up on this one, is that not every problem that comes my way is caused by the devil or by evil forces. Some of it's caused by my stupidity. Hey, why'd you also? <laughs> Everybody agreed with me too quickly. Some of the stuff is my stupidity, isn't it? So we actually have to learn that essentially we are attacked from three different fronts. We're attacked from the flesh, which is the attack from within. Because I'm born in a sinful, fallen world, I have natural appetites. Those natural appetites God created for my benefit and for my health. But the devil seeks to exaggerate those appetites and to, allow me, and to try and get me to fulfill them in ways that will destroy me. So I have an appetite to eat. If I don't eat, I don't live. But the devil seeks to come and take that appetite and to exploit it so I become a glutton. And I become a professional smorgasbord eater. Okay, uh, that's one. Sex. Well, that got your attention, didn't it? Um, sex is a God-given appetite that God uh, put within human beings to actually hold marriage together because it's glue and to cause children to come in the world. It's a natural God-given appetite. Amen? Some of you are not sure. Do we need counselling here or whatever? So it's a natural God-given appetite. Okay. <laughs> Good on you, Rain. So. But what the devil does seeks to exploit that, exaggerate it and to make it something that God created as clean and pure. The devil's turned it and sacralized. He's put graffiti all over it to make it. So we've got to understand some stuff is the flesh. Some stuff's the world. Now we overcome the world by our faith. 1 John 5 verse 4. The faith, it's worldly systems, it's conning us, saying that the secret to life is to buy a happy phone. You know, get for your iPhone and you say, iPhone, you will meet all my needs. 
iPhone, you will make me happy. iPad 1.2, you will solve all my problems. Facebook, you are my new God. You know, we get in front of the world. The Bible says that we're to overcome that by faith. We're to overcome the flesh by fleeing. You do not solve the Potiphar's wife issue by staying there saying, Dear Jesus, give me strength over this temptation. You run. You run from... So sometimes what we're doing is we're not doing the rock, paper, scissors thing. We're trying to come at the devil by faith. When you shouldn't be facing the devil with faith, you should be facing him in warfare. And you should be fleeing the flesh and you should be facing the world. Really important. You will not succeed in strategic level warfare if you don't understand what's going on. This may shock some of you. But my wife and I have been known to have discussions. (laughs) My son's laughing at me. (laughs) Because the kids will often head off to their room saying, Mum and Dad are having a discussion. (laughs) Now, sometimes when we have a discussion, it's because we've got faulty thinking and we're not applying faith to it all. You know, the bills are in there. And there's some concern how we're going to pay the bills. The right response to that is faith. It's faith, isn't it? Dear Monique, we've trusted God our whole life. We've given sacrificially of time, treasure and talent. We pay our tithes and we give above and beyond all that over and go, God will never see us go hungry. He will meet our needs. That's the response. True. Sometimes that discussion might be over um, a fleshly thing. I might think that, you know, when I put on my, uh, my Marcus Anthony uniform, that she would turn into Cleopatra. <laughs> but she just flew. <laughs> she just flew. And there are other times when we're having the argument, just as we're driving to church on Sunday morning and we're in the car park and all of a sudden we find ourselves fighting over who left the cap off the toothpaste tube. Sometimes you've got to understand what is happening here. You know, I'm going to preach on divine healing. Sure enough, the devil will try and bring sickness that week. I know how he works. So understanding, my friends, the Bible tells us that we are in a warfare. If that's true, then the devil is trying to get into your life right now some way, somehow. Maybe he's tried the front door and he's gone around trying somewhere else, but he's trying to get into your life. Do you know what he's trying to do in your life? Have you figured out what he's doing? Because if you haven't, then you are still vulnerable and you might not actually be doing the appropriate level of strategic level warfare. You might be trying to use you know, uh, artillery when you need a sniper. Okay, next one. And we will get to the sermon eventually. So you put on the belt of truth. That's the first part of the armour. So there's the belt of truth. Then you put on the next one, which is, thanks, Connie, the armour of righteousness. And then you put on the next piece of uh, uh, clothing, which is the action shoes, which gives us stability, mobility, and protection, which then leads us to this next thing. Okay. Then verse 14 says, in addition to all of this. So Paul has mentioned three, three aspects of armour and then goes on to the next phase to describe other pieces of the panoply of the armour of God. So he's saying that you need gut truth. In the core of your being, you need to know what the Bible says. In the core of your belly, Deep down at the centre, that which balances you needs to be objective truth, not subjective truth, not whether you like it or not, not what you feel about it, but you need to know truth, T-R-U-T-H. Not popular in the modern world because we want to all dial in our own truth today, but the Bible says if you want to live in warfare, you've got to know the truth. And if you know the truth, the truth shall set you free. So you need gut truth. You need core rightness that's based on God's rightness, not our rightness. This goes back to the very introduction of the epistle. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul says to all the saints that are at Ephesus, 
to all the holy ones. Holy. We sang that incredible song, Angus, today. Holy, holy, holy. Most of us don't know what we're singing about. But I want to tell you, to the saints at Champion Lakes Christian Church, you are declared by God to be saints. Saints, holy ones. Holy ones. You are already on the basis of what Jesus has done, being translated from being sinner to being holy. If you're holy, then you don't have to worry about the tap on the shoulder of condemnation because you're holy. So you need gut truth. Say gut truth. You need core rightness. It's not about me giving my goodness to God. It's about me humbly receiving His goodness into my life. And saying thank you. And then it's about true grit. It's about the, move, the capacity to be ready for your gospel news, the good news. Walk across the room, walk across the street, but you've got to be ready. Passive Christianity is killing the Western church. You can go to the, some of the best churches in our nations. And I hope this doesn't come across critical, but it's of reflection more than ever. You can go to some of the best churches in our nation and the worship starts on the first row, gets to the second row, gets to the third row, and then dies. Churches of thousands. And it's only the front rows that are worshipping and engaged with God. God help us. God help us not to be passive spectators but to actually jump in and do what God's called. So that means true grip. You've got to have your athletic shoes on. You've got to have your, your uh, Nikes, your, your boots on to do the running, to do the jumping, to do the slam dunking, all that wonderful good news stuff. Be ready to do it. It's necessary for spiritual warfare. If you want to win, who wants to win? It's necessary if you want to win to actually have this sort of action on your feet. So in addition to all this, so what Paul's saying is that when you're just a soldier at rest, you know, you're not in constant warfare. Thank you, Jesus. We're not in constant warfare. You know, there are periods of warfare. Then there's periods of rest for the soldier. Then there are other periods of warfare. So, but we should always be dressed with the belt of truth, with the breastplate of righteousness, and with the shoes on our feet. But when, then when they go to war, they then pick up their shield. You understand? They then pick up their sword. You understand? They then pick up their helmet. Because you don't carry around your sword and your helmet all the time. So that's how you move forward. So this is what's happening. We're now moving to another dimension. We're moving from the place of passivity in Christianity, but prepared and ready. Prepared and ready. We're moving from that now into the actual warfare zone. So that leads us to the next line, which is, of course, the shield of faith. The little thing I had last week, which was a bit of a joke, that's my $40 shield that was worth $2.50 from eBay. (laughs) used to flip them like this. That's what they call the buckler. That's the small shield. That was used for close in, in fighting. So... Once the formation of the troops had broken down and it's now hand-to-hand warfare, you'd use the smaller shield, the buckler. Uh, the Bible talks about God being our buckler, being our smaller shield as well. But, of course, the shield that's mentioned here in Ephesians chapter 6 is the bigger shield, or the thureos, which is this larger thing here, which is the one that's used in formation, which again brings us back, oh, my sister, isn't she good?
So with the larger shield, you could actually then have these formations, which is a, a thing I'm really hoping this church gets a revelation over, is that warfare is done to, together. There's no such thing. What Paul's thinking about is protection when we actually work together. So the Roman soldiers worked together as units, and they had large units down to small units and whatever. I won't go into all the detail. And they could form the tortoise. Remember the tortoise? Where, you know, they could put it up like this and like that. And they could literally mark, they could march on the most highly defended castle in the world and be substantially protected because they would all stand with their shields up and they'd fire their arrows at them and it would bounce off. Now, it was made of two planks of wood that were then put together by cowhide. Cowhide was basically the substance that kept it together, kept down the weight as well. Many of them would then have a metal frame put around the side of it. So if you got hacked at by a, um, one of those things here, uh, you'd still be okay. This thing here was often made of metal and uh, would often be made of brass or silver and the really expensive ones out of gold. And so on occasions you could see how the shields and the right light could look like a, an army of light. It would just be amazing as they're flashing their shields. And often they would try to blind the opposition by the flash of light. I love that idea. <laughs> flashing the light with your shield of faith. I just, that's just how my poetic mind goes. And so, so they were incredible. They would often soak the cowhide with water as well. If they were going to warfare, they would... Uh, Soak it with water. That way, if anything came against them that was on fire, it wouldn't catch on fire. And so you had this uh, wonderful shield. I really do appreciate uh, uh, that coming in. Thanks, Helen. So, so, and Paul says, take up the shield. And so, next slide. Okay, take up the shield of faith. I just like, it's a nice image, if nothing else. It doesn't say much, but, well, maybe it does on my notes. It says more on my notes, does it? I haven't been looking at my notes. Be good if you stuck to your notes, Mike. Stay on target. Yeah, we did all that. We've no, I missed that one. Do I, stu- do I tell you about magic mushrooms? Don't do it. Just, just in case you missed it all. Okay. So now we've not yet really zoned down to Ephesus, the culture again. We've spoken a little bit about it four, six weeks ago. Remember, how Ephesus is this capital of the occult in the world and so what Paul's saying is that you can have the the people outside of the world outside of the church outside of the church outside of Christianity believe that there is power in ritual if you do the right spells if you say the right things if you do the right formula you get power in the supernatural Sadly, that sort of thinking is in the church of Jesus Christ. Paul's trying to push back on the false thing. Do you remember there was a revival in Ephesus and the Christians came out and burnt a million dollars worth of occultic stuff? It was in the church. So it's talking about the church. So in the church, if we're not careful, we think that power to win comes from doing the right thing, reading a certain amount of passages, having the right text to quote, fasting for 40 days. It's all about if I do the right things, I get spiritual power. That's the occult. That's just said a lot very quickly because Christianity is about power through proper relationship. It's about Jesus. It's not about what you do. It's about what he has done done and we say that over and over again but we're so programmed to ritual we're so programmed to routine that we just fall into it like gravity and so spiritual warfare is about really walking with God we put truth on here who's the truth fantastic we put rightness on here who's the righteousness of God yeah, we put the gospel in effort. He's our good news, isn't he? It's all about Jesus. And so that's how we actually move forward. So final slide, I think. Okay, faith here, we talk about the shield of faith in our English versions, but uh, the Greek text is very clear. It's the shield which is faith. So faith is the shield. Faith 
is the shield. Now, one of the incredible things about this shield is that if you'll take up the shield of faith, it's probably the one that I did want a, <laughs> a wireless microphone. If you take up the shield of faith, it will quench how many darts, fiery darts? How many? How many? It will quench how many? <laughs> I know. It will quench all the fiery darts. Oops, broke it. <laughs> I broke your shield. <laughs> it's as good as my shield. <laughs> so, so it's a pretty effective weapon, isn't it? It means every attack that the enemy brings towards you, you can win. But let's say I gave um, Jono a crossbow right now. And I said, try and shoot your pastor. Okay. Now, this shield, let's say I give him a Nerf gun. <laughs> let's say I give him a Nerf gun. Who knows that this shield can stop all the Nerf balls? It can, can't it? But for it to happen, what do I have to be able to do? I've got to be able to do what? Take it up. I've got to use it. So here's the deal with the shield of faith. You've got to understand and discern and know where the attack is coming from. If you don't see the dart coming, if you don't see the arrow coming, then you may not take up your shield and go, foot, foot, foot. You can catch every fiery dart of the enemy if you take up the shield and raise it up. Hallelujah. So here's the thing. Right now, there are darts coming towards Mike Keating. Can you see him? I, I can't see him. But there are darts that are coming towards me. They could be darts of sickness. They could be darts of uh, financial pressure. They could be anything, couldn't they? But they're coming. Some might be 10 metres away. Some might be 20 metres away. But the thing is, if I'm going to succeed, I need to have my shield ready to put it up. And if I put it up, it will quench all. All the fiery darts of the enemy. But you got to put it up. If I put the shield down, I'm gone, aren't I? Do you know, on my body, I bear the marks of service for Jesus Christ in this church. I do. I have. On this arm here, if I could get it out for you, right on the back there, there is a permanent bruise. I have a permanent bruise that has never healed. Because the young people many years ago thought it was a very nice thing to take their pastor away paintballing. <laughs> paintballing. Now, this was an interesting experience for me because I used to think that the youth of my church loved me. <laughs> I used to think that they were some sort of level of respect for their elders. So this is the first time I've been paintballing. The other incredible thing is that I believe that there is a, maniacide, a homicidal maniac lurking in every church. But you just don't know it. <laughs> Take them paintballing and you discover who they are. We had this young man, uh, one of the Anderson boys, who normally, if you knew this gentleman, used to move very slow. Very slow. And uh, talk very slow. You get him in a paintballing fest. And uh, we're trying to work at a strategy. How do we take the bus? They're all over there in that bus protecting themselves. He says, everybody give me their guns and I'll charge them. <laughs> and he's jumping and rolling over and spinning around. I mean, nutcase. Absolute nutcase. I was just glad he's on our side. But he suddenly finds his pastor lying under a log, strategically poised. <laughs> and at point black range, gets his gun. And goes, <laughs> huge smile on his face. I had the bruises. I would have loved to have had a shield. You've got to see it coming. If you don't see it coming, you're going to get hurt. A fiery dart from Augustine to, uh, to modern contemporaries. Everybody agrees that a fiery dart from the enemy is simply, we're going to talk about this next week, 
is simply a demonically inspired thought. It's all it is, is just a single idea. But if it gets through your shield, it will hurt you. And it can destroy you. One simple idea. A number of years ago, this is another universe, another planet in the galaxy far, far away. A young lady comes to a church service. Sadly, it can happen in church. Comes to church service. The pastor calls her out to the front and then tells her that she has a demon of lesbianism and ceases to try to cast and set her free from this demon of lesbian that she didn't know that she had. But a thought was placed in her head that 10, 20 years later almost destroyed her, her family and her children. Just a single thought. And had she had a shield and had just picked it up, foot, hallelujah, she would have lived in victory all that time. Just a single thought that money who you are, abuse, who your parents are, who you are, what's going to happen. Just a single thought. If you just had a Bible shield of faith, you can quench all, all of them, all of them, everyone. But you've got to take up the shield of faith. When it comes, when the rain comes, put up your umbrella and you won't get wet. It's going to come. The Bible promises it, that spiritual warfare will come and you can win, you can win, you can win. But you've got to do something, which is take up, take it up, take it up. And it's faith. Take up your faith and it will quench every fiery dart of the enemy. That's me, yeah. It's amazing what you do in Photoshop, isn't it? Faith here is not your ability to believe in God. Come on, hear me. Faith here is not your ability to believe in God. It's not the strength of your arm that quenches the fiery darts. It's the shield that quenches the fiery darts. But no arm, no shield. It's not the strength of your arm. Hallelujah. You could have a weak arm. You may not have rippling biceps like I have. It's not the strength of your arm. It's the strength of the shield. There's revelation there for you. If you can get it, it can help you. You don't have to be strong about it. You just got to pick up and do what Jesus said. It stands written. It's what the Bible says. This is what God says about me. And you will quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. So it's what happened when David said to Goliath, you know, you come at me, you know, with the, uh, these armies. You come against me with sword and spear. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defiled. And this day the Lord will hand you over to me and strike you down and I'll cut off your head and the, and the world will know that there is a God in Israel. Today the battle is the Lord's and I give it into your hand and God gives it into our hands. This is spiritual warfare. It's standing in God. They, uh, does anybody know what... Uh, Sinistrality is. Sinistrality. It's built on the word sin, and it literally means left-handedness. Left-handedness. So the shield was hold, held by the Roman soldier in his left hand. The left hand in Scripture is typical of our weaknesses. It's our unclean hand. In ancient cultures... It was your poo hand. I'm not trying to be gross, but it's just you would eat with your right hand. You'd shake hands with your right hand. But your, your ablutions was done with the left hand. If 
you wanted to, in today, in Muslim culture, if you're caught stealing or thieving, they'll cut off your right hand. It's just not a punishment for then, it's a punishment forever because you're then forced to live a left-handed life and stuff. And the Bible has this understanding that the left hand is a land of weakness. So guess which hand you put your shield over? It's over your left hand. It protects your left hand. The very point of your weakness is the very point that God will make you strong. Hallelujah. The devil sends a messenger and he buffets me over and over again, Paul says, and I've prayed, sought him three times on this, and he says that my grace is sufficient for you. Here's the incredible thing that even then, in your right hand, you can have the sword of the Spirit. We'll talk about that in another meeting. But in your left hand, the place of your weakness is the very place that you build your faith. The place of your weakness is the place you put your faith. That's where you build your faith into. The very point where you say, that's where I'm broken. That's where my broken dream is. That's where the shattered pieces of my life is. Is a place that you put the faith of God over and you live in victory as a result of revelation. Hallelujah. Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you've given us everything that we need for life and godliness. Lord, when you left to return to heaven, you poured out your Holy Spirit. Lord, you inspired the scriptures. Lord, you gave us the keys to live a life of victory. Yes, there will be warfare. Yes, there will be attacks. Yes, there will be challenges. Yes, at times the battle will be hard and it will be to our face. But Lord, you have destined us to be a mighty army, an army glorious, arrayed with banners of victory, marching with you as our divine commander, the Lord of hosts in front. Lord, you have called us to be more than just weak people surviving until, Lord, you return. You've called us to be the army, strong in battle, Lord, to win, just not personally, but corporately in our schools, in our businesses, in our finances, in our politics, Lord. Father, you've called us to be the army of God. And Lord, we just want to say sorry that we've wanted to do it the easy way. We've not wanted to come to boot camp. We've not wanted to grow up. Lord, we've not wanted to be connected with others, to join the army. Lord, we've wanted to be privateers and lone rangers and conscripts that show up, Lord, when it feels like it, when we feel like it. God, help us all to grow. Help us to wake up, dear God, that we are in a life and death battle. Lord, that this is not an afternoon athletic contest, uh, contest, Lord, but it's life and death, Lord, that souls are in the balance. Lord, this affects our homes, our family, our children, our children's children, Lord. Help us, dear God, to live in truth, to live in rightness, to have true grip on our feet, Lord, and, Lord, to put in our arm that shield where when those attacks come, We just catch everything. Lord, we only put the shield down to poke our tongue at the devil because he missed again. Miss me, miss me, miss me. Help us, dear God, to be a body of people that walks in revelation and victory in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Just while your head's about, I just want to quickly ask, is there someone here today that doesn't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? I'd really want to give you the opportunity before you leave this building to accept the amazing offer of transferring your life into His control. He is the Lord. He is the master of the universe. You know, it was sad that when there was a tsunami back there a number of years ago when literally hundreds of thousands of people got destroyed in an instant, there were some places in the world where there was a warning given. Warning. A great tsunami is coming. And you know, some people apparently went down to the beach to look at it. I mean, now, you know, when we look back on that, we're saying, how stupid was that? Not only was the warning not heeded, but the warning was almost laughed at. And friends, there is a great judgment coming upon the earth. I know that's not a popular thing to say. But God's coming back to fix all the wrongs. 
And right now you've got to choose a side. You can either be on his side or you can be on your own side. That's okay. He'll let you choose. But you really need to think about being on Jesus' side, joining his army, his cause, his purpose. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not have to suffer destruction, perish, but will have eternal quality of life. You've got to believe in him. Just not in your head. You've got to trust him. You've got to rely upon him. You've got to surrender belief in your own, doing it your own way and say, God, I'll do it your way. And if that's you this morning, if you've never, ever publicly asked Jesus Christ into your life before, I would love to give you that opportunity now to say yes to Jesus. So if that's you, can I ask you to do something really scary, really brave, Well, no one's looking around, just you and me. One of you might just slip your hand straight up in the air and I'll pray for you to receive the gift of eternal life. If that's you. Just put it straight up in the air. Put it down. I'm not going to call you out to the front. We're not going to embarrass you. All I want you to do is receive the gift of salvation in Christ Jesus. That's all I'm wanting you to do. It'd bring me some pleasure, but it caused the angels in heaven to have an incredible party because the sinners come home and been restored. If that's you today, I'm just going to look over the congregation one more time. If you'd like me to pray with you today to receive the gift of salvation in the name of Jesus Christ, then it'd be my joy to do that. Okay, fantastic. God bless you. Let's, be, uh, let's rise up. We'll get the band up and let's sing Happy Day. It was a happy day when we got saved. Amen. Is this helping anybody? Helping Gary. Fantastic. <laughs> if you would like to come forward at the end of the service for prayer, we have a prayer team here in the church. They do wait upon God. They're trained in their ministry and their gifting. And so you're very welcome to come out the front if you need prayer for anything at all. We'll be here. Otherwise, enjoy some hospitality with each other. And uh, we'll see you next week. God bless you. Greatest day in history. Death is beating. You have rescued.